freedom 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 over fame freedom over cycle stays the same welcome first of all welcome this is unsolicited perspectives i am your host bruce anthony thank you for listening and watching wherever you get your podcast and video podcasts subscribe share like comment and rate us you can find us on instagram youtube and twitch at unsolicited underscore perspectives on twitter and tiktok at unsolicited underscore per watch us live every thursday night 7 30 p.m eastern on youtube and twitch our audience continues to grow with each and every episode and i humbly thank you on today's episode, I'll be interviewing Ganu Roxwell. He's a social worker out in Los Angeles. We're going to be talking about juvenile justice, the foster care system, as well as parenting. But first things first. So a little bit about Ganu Roxwell and his background. He's once again, like I said earlier, he's a social worker in Los Angeles. Uh, he's also a hip hop artist. He's been on HBO documentaries, uh, Foster. He's also been in the hip hop uh, poetry jam on HBO. Uh, he's a social worker from the Children's Law Center in Los Angeles. Numerous, over 15 years of working with inner city youth and the juvenile justice system, foster care system. Uh, he also has a... Uh, certification in, let me pull this up so that I, so that I get this right. A certification in nonviolent parent education. So the things that we're going to be talking about today are just kids, right? Like we, in a previous, uh, podcast, I spoke to a doctor about the abortion laws and a lot of arguments that people that are pro-life, and I'm not putting uh, GNU in any of this conversation as far as pro-life or pro-choice, but I'm just talking about the pro-life people. A lot of instances of people that say, well, that are pro-life, they say, well, why don't you get the child up for adoption? And I gave some statistics before about kids in the foster care system um, and how, I mean, without a backbone, without a structure, how are we supposed to raise this kid, especially when, um, Society really isn't helping them. And, and it'll be interesting talking to Gnu about this because he's in the system. He's, um, d dealing with the kids that are in the juvenile halls that are in the foster care system. And he has a very unique perspective because he grew up in the inner city of Los Angeles. So I'm really excited, uh, to interview him to get some of his insight. Uh, and I think that we can learn a lot from uh, nonviolent parenting. I know I grew up in a household. My parents weren't violent. Let, let me be clear. My parents were not violent, uh, but I didn't get whoopings. You know, I, I joke and call them beatings, but I really honestly was not getting beat as a child. I got whoopings. I got whoopings as a kid. So it's interesting. It'll be interesting to hear, uh, his philosophy, uh, and certification, the background on nonviolent parenting. Uh, but without further ado, Here's it. Welcome. And I'm here with Gnu Roxwell. We're here talking about the juvenile justice system and foster care. Gnu, welcome yep. to the show, brother. Thank you. Glad to be here. I'm glad to have you here. <laughs> uh, 
So one of the first questions I want to jump right into is, can you tell me about your background and how you became interested in social work and nonviolent parenting education? Because that's something mm-hmm. I think is really, really important because I know for me, yeah. I grew up, I got the whoopings, right? <laughs> I got the whoopings. Right, uh, right. And most people in my generation <laughs> got the whoopings. But right. I'm interested to know about what nonviolent parent parenting education is. So if you could just give me a little background on how you got interested in all that. Well, yeah, I got them whoopings too. (laughs) Most of us did. Most Um, of us did. I mean, you know, I'm a kid from, uh, from Los Angeles during like the the crack epidemic, epidemic, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So, um, growing up in the eighties or whatever. Um, so, you know, I, I saw a lot, um, as a hip hop artist, a lot of that was in my music from my environment, what I saw, I um, came at it more the approach of like uh, native tongues um, or like a uh, public enemy, like mm-hmm. that approach. Right. So mm-hmm. um, in terms of my background, um, I have a hip hop background because I, I grew up with hip hop. So right. um, I was rapping from being a teenager um, that moved into me doing spoken word when mm-hmm. kind of the jiggy era took over. I'll get jiggy um, with it. Yeah, I, yeah, I wasn't okay. really getting jiggy with well, it. Well, okay. No, I get you. No, when you were talking about you doing public enemy, I didn't imagine you was out here doing <laughs> that get jiggy with it. Right. So, um, I, I mean, I, I would say kind of the content of public enemy, but the flavor of like Tribe Called Quest kind of okay. thing. All right. um, but however it goes, I moved into the poetry scene um, because, you know, the hip hop scene really wasn't... Um, home anymore like you know mm. people really listening to lyrics like that mm-hmm. um but then on the poetry scene it's a lot of activists um in the spoken word scene you know so um i was invited to um uh, work with some youth at a juvenile hall while on the poetry scene i went out spoke with the youth and that really like um it awakened something in me you know mm. as poets i feel like we're often on the soapbox um giving critique on society and mm-hmm. talking about the systems and the school system. And, the, right. you know, we're always complaining about everything in society. Right. But exactly. um, it's like the only experience I had was as a kid growing up and just like, uh, you know, the hearsay, you mm-hmm. don't really have hands on. Um, it's hands on experience, but it is small. Right. It's very personal. Right. Mm-hmm. Once, um, so long story short, uh, I started, it was a regular thing, me going to the juvenile halls and working with the youth and even uh, starting after school programs and stuff like that, using rap and spoken word as a platform to uh, connect with the youth and kind of doing like um, giving them outlets so they could express themselves uh, in a different way, in a more creative way. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I met an attorney that worked at the children's law firm, which is where I then started working. Um, and she was like, man, you will be really good to work for us because we need investigators that can connect with the youth. And, um, I kind of had a knack for building with the youth kind of, mm-hmm. you know, hip hop keeps you youthful, you know? Right. Exactly. So, um, I ended up working for them and, and did that for 15 years. Um, at first I was just an investigator and, but then that moved into me working with a, a unit we call the care unit, which mm-hmm. is a um, specialized unit that works with the youth who are in foster care, but also have juvenile justice cases. 
So okay. kids on probation and my job was to mentor them to try to help them get off of probation. Oftentimes mm-hmm. there's a million hurdles and obstacles in a way because they're just given a list from the judge of terms of probation, how they need right. to change their life around. Mm-hmm. But just because somebody tells you you need to make these changes doesn't mean you agree with the changes. And it doesn't mean that you even have the drive to make the changes, you know, like. Or the wherewithal. You say, huh? Or the wherewithal, the know-how to even go about right. making those type of changes. Yeah. Especially if you come from a space where your parents, that I mean, they're, they're foster youth, right? So their right. parents have their own list <laughs> that exactly. a judge gave them of changes that they need to do to get their kids back. So, you know, we often, um, our parents' thresholds can oftentimes become our thresholds, especially mm. as a teenager. Like, mm-hmm. I, I'm not better than my my dad is or my mom is, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, that's kind of what got me into, you know, the foster care system, working in that system. If you could break down for me, what exactly is a juvenile hall? Is that is that what they call kitty prison? Yeah. Or that's exactly what it is. So they just... That, it's, yeah, that's it. It's, it's okay. kid jail. It's kid jail. And yeah. and I've heard stories that there isn't too much difference. The violence might be a little bit more extreme, but there's not too much difference as far as the interaction between uh, the juveniles as compared to like inmates in prison. Is that true or is that false? Um, oh man, it, it's hard to say. I, I can't like completely say it's false. Um, mm-hmm. Honestly, I have very limited, like I've never been to jail before. Right. right, um, right. So, but I have like, uh, I've had, had a couple of clients who uh, ended up once they turned 18. Um, unfortunately they got in trouble again and mm-hmm. ended up going to County. And so I went to visit them in County and it's way different. Like it's just, okay. Just to give it some perspective. When you're in juvenile hall, the youngest kid I saw in juvenile hall was like 12 turning 13. And even mm-hmm. when they're 12, they try to kind of keep them away from the other kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so from 13 to 18 is what's like in the halls, mm-hmm. which, you know, it's a big difference, a 13-year-old to an 18-year-old. Right. But um, for one, the, the halls is not like um, – it's not a permanent placement kind of thing. So it's supposed to be temporary. So that's okay. like when they get arrested – and they go into the halls and they're supposed to only be in there like a couple of weeks, maybe a month um, while the judicial system is trying to find placement, which depending on their situation could be a group home. It could be home. It could be a foster home. It could be camp. Camp is more of a, it's kind of like adult penitentiary, which is mm-hmm. kind of like you're sentenced to be at camp. Mm-hmm. You're not sentenced to be at juvenile hall. So, uh, okay. So um, juvenile hall is like a holding it's, a, yeah, it's like it's a county jail. Like, yeah. You know, people get arrested, they go to county, mm-hmm. but then they're in a count. Well, it ain't completely like that because, you know, it's, you know, you could be in county jail for some years. But, yeah, yeah. Um, and I've had youth who I've worked with who've been in the halls for like a year. But for those youth, it's kind of a situation of they're oftentimes they run away a lot when they're on the outs or, um, it's kind of circumstantial to where, or they've been in and out a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then the judge is so-called scared for them to be like in a foster home or a group home because they think they're going to run away or 
it's all types of different situations. But right. for the most part, the halls is supposed to be a temporary thing. Okay. Um, oh, and and so just to, to give that perspective, how I was saying, but then you got the difference of an 18-year-old and a 45-year-old or a 35-year-old right. that's yeah. been doing nothing but working out for the past five years in the yard mm-hmm. and this fresh new 18-year-old comes in. That's a whole different environment. Different ball game. Okay. Yeah. No, I get what you're saying. Uh, it's it's You brought up how a couple of your clients um, got out of the, the juvie halls, right, uh, but turned 18 and got into trouble and went to county. So what are some of the challenges you face with your work? Uh, that That's an example of a challenge where you have, what is it, um, where you where you keep where you're going back in the system res, res, recidivism recidivism right where, like jeez I should have known that word recidivism oh. um, <laughs> yeah I got a speech impediment yeah. right um, so you have those type of situations what are some of the other challenges with work and how often are these kids going back into the system and then when they age out they're going into county um, I mean it's really unfortunate right like. My experience is all with youth who were uh, in in foster care. Um, so it's a little different than, say, a kid that's in their home and, and they're not in foster care. Oftentimes I have a lot more support. They um, It's a bit more leniency, you know, because the judge is like, well, you're going home to dad, you're going home to mom. All right, you did this one thing, you were stealing candy or, you know, stealing jeans from the store you know, slap on the wrist, parents get on that. Um, but for a foster youth, there is no parents get on that, you know? Right. Um, and oftentimes the cycles that they're, they're in, when they get to this point, there's been years of um, no structure, you know, not, mm-hmm. not even to get on, like they probably experienced neglect. They likely experienced some type of abuse that landed them in the foster care in the first place. So there's already like a trauma, you know, even a trauma of being taken away from your family, which is not just your family. It's your friends at your school, your friends in your neighborhood. Um, It's just a lot of trauma involved when you're a foster youth. Oftentimes I have youth who are running away from the placements because they just want to be at home. So I have youth who run away and go like be be with a parent, a parent who they're not supposed to be with because, you know, the courts have taken them. So the parent is like hiding them. Right. So um, the kid's been removed from the home, been placed in the foster home, but for whatever reason, uh, and it could be a variety of different reasons, but let's yeah. just say one of the simple reasons is they just missed their mom and dad. They'll run away from that foster home and go back home. And, and that parent will obviously take them back in and try to hide them. Yeah. I mean, wow. family is family, right? Exactly. Like, yeah. First of all, our community, like the system is the enemy, right? And mm-hmm. um, if you just think about people in general, the vast majority of people um, don't own a crap, right? Like we always, if somebody else is doing something and we're like, oh, well, I do that. Me saying, well, I do that is me saying, oh, it's not that bad because right. I do it too. You know exactly. what I mean? Exactly, yeah. So even the reasons that uh, the youth might be in foster care, it could be abuse, but the family doesn't see it as abuse. Mm. The kid doesn't because the kid has lived like that all their lives. The right. parent does it because they're like, well, this is how I grew up and this exactly. is what we do. So 
they don't see it the way that the system sees it, but then the public will see it like, what do you do? Like, you can't beat that kid like that, or you can't, that's abusive what you're doing. So um, really what got me into the whole, like, uh, nonviolent parenting thing, how you were saying, is because, um, you know how they say that, the school system is antiquated, but, but which is not really because I've worked as a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, our community is antiquated. When you think about it, like, um, we don't go to school to learn how to become parents. So where do we learn to be parents? We learn to be parents from our parents. by the way that we were raised, yes. right? We might tweak that a little bit. But for the most part, um, our communities function on this old will. Like, we're not reading books, psychology, and we're not reading all of this stuff. No, that's what's causing the system to evolve. Mm. And so you got all these systems that's judging the public and they're, they're judging them with information that's based on all these studies that are constantly going on month after month, year after year, things are changing, right? Evolving. Things are are evolving Mm -hmm. and they feel like they have a better understanding of, uh, what trauma is and what, uh, you know, abuse is and what neglect is and the effects that it has. We're not doing those studies in the, in the house. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, there's this gap and me being from the community and me working in the, in the foster care system. Um, I have an issue with this, this gap, mm-hmm. you know, um, and mainly because I feel like, um, what I saw a lot was, the judge, when the youth is taken into foster care, the judge always mandates therapy, that uh, the youth receive therapy because they've experienced this abuse and how can they go in back into society in a healthy way and function without tending to the trauma, the abuse and neglect that they receive. But then I look at my community, like the black community for hundreds of years, we've received trauma and abuse Right. In this country as a, as a people. And there's never been a therapeutic approach to help us, right. To help us this is go true. into mainstream society and function. We just by a miracle, the grace of God have been able to like function for the most part. Navigate yeah, there, our way there's through. Some yeah. Dysfunction, but there's a lot of us who are like becoming successful too, you know? Exactly. Um, and so with that, I began to view the foster care system as like their, that's their means of giving us therapy. Like that's their means of, of helping us um, heal our families. It's forcing us into foster care. And then we receive therapy through the judge's mandate. Mm-hmm. That's what's supposed to help our community. Um, I got an issue with that. So that's what pushed me into, um, you know, becoming certified to do the parenting classes. So. That's interesting. What are some of the strategies you use in the nonviolent parenting and well, how is it, how is it received by parents? Because I would imagine certain generations like me and my sister, uh, often talk about the generations, generation X millennials and generation Z and generation Z own their mental health, right? Mm-hmm. Millennials Younger millennials own that mental health and are getting therapy, but older millennials and Generation X and boomers, they're not here for it. They say, pray on it and pray on it, you know, 
I believe in, in, in the Lord, but I also believe, Hey, the Lord gave us therapy to, to help better ourselves. So that reception in, in these communities from maybe through the different generations, how is that received? Is it received well? Is it not received well? Who's receiving it well and who's not receiving it well? Well, I think, honestly, um, I think the perk of me doing the classes is that um, I'm culturally sensitive, right? Mm -hmm. Because I grew up in it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I grew up in it. And um, I mean, I just, I have so many opinions about even everything that you, you know, just said, right? Because when we think about the therapy that we're going to and we're receiving and the mental health that we're open to, um, what lens is that coming from? That's mm. not coming from a culturally sensitive lens from us. You know what I mean? Like well, sometimes, you know, we, we have therapists. We we have black therapists that are that are out there given. Yeah, given but us they therapy. go to school. They go to school to learn like everything that the black therapist. And I'm not saying nothing against therapy. I'm not against therapy. Okay. That's not where I'm coming from. But I'm just coming from. We're going to an academic. We're going to, to academia to learn the information that's being provided by what studies, like studies being done by who, like, um, because. Oh, so I, I see what you're saying. Like that, there, there's a criminalization of our culture. And I'm yes. not saying everything in black culture is, is great, right? We have some things that we need to tend to. Exactly. Um, yes. But everything ain't bad either. True. And there's like this perception. Now, what I'm seeing is like this whole new generational. It's, it's a swinging pendulum, right? So we go from one extreme to the other extreme. And on the other extreme is like everything that uh, the ways of our our grandparents was ooh, it, it was so terrible, mm -hmm. but it not all. You talking of it about was, as far as discipline, discipline I'm talking and kids, about as far as structure, structure. Like okay. a lot of what I'm seeing now is like a lack of structure and over. All right, so the the training, you know, I'm, I'm certified as a, a trauma informed, nonviolent parent instructor because that's the, the certification in a program that I went to. Right. Mm -hmm. But um, that doesn't mean that I'm in full agreement with their approach just because um, they come from a lens that we also are judgmental of. Right. Because when we were growing up and we saw their kids in the market running the muck and they're just like, Oh no, get in line or you're not going to get any candy. We look at like, dude, your kids is running over you. Mm -hmm. Like that's the lens that's now telling us to be more like them. Mm. Um, so I just see a lot of like, it's just a lack of structure. What I always try to tell young parents, like the structure comes from like infancy. Oftentimes we wait to the youth, the, to the baby becomes a toddler and is like two years old and suddenly getting into stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you're yelling across the room. Hey, stop that. And it's kind of like, it's after the point, right? Like if all I've had was freedom to do whatever I want to, and now you want to tell me I need to stop. Like, <laughs> well, how do you, you know, how, how, do you get, situation? how do you get a, a baby? How do you develop structure 
for a baby? Are you, are you talking well, about like as a scheduling system? Uh, because I will say when you say through the lens of them, uh, I do know, and I'm not saying it's a large majority, but I think it's regional, right? I do mm-hmm. know a lot of white people that grew up getting beatings, right? Getting oh, yeah, workers, yeah, yeah, getting yeah, structure. Yeah, 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 so I don't yeah. wanna I don't wanna put it all on, you know, that's how white people will discipline. Well, yeah, their that's kids. why I didn't say white necessarily, yeah. okay. because uh we kinda got I mean, as a people, we kind of inherited it from them. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah, because so, I've seen I've seen some of us have yeah. kids running yeah. them up, and I'm like, yeah, exactly. Like, that's exactly. not us. That's not us. Exactly. You better you better tighten exactly. them up. Um, exactly. So my my bad if it came off like I'm talking about like black or white. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not talking about black and white as much as I'm talking about um kind of a, like a, a paradigm okay. of like um. One super passive and the other like super aggressive. Uh, and I think okay, I we got to be somewhere in, in the, the middle. middle. Got you. You got to be loving, mm-hmm. but you got to provide structure. Like yeah. you got to, you got to hold the lines. Mm-hmm. So like I, I have six kids. Um, and of course the younger they get, the better, the better of a parent they get. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, that's, that's like you're learning along the way. So there's um, a rule that, uh, something that that I've discussed on previous uh, episodes, whereas, you know, me and my brother and sister, I have a younger brother and younger sister. We all grew up in the same household. We all had the same parents, but we didn't have the same parents, right? right. Because of the age difference. Like right. each child got a different parent, not only because of the age different, there's the gender, there's the different personalities between the yeah. three of us and how we yeah. respond to certain disciplines yeah. and structures and things of that yeah. nature. So that's interesting yeah. that you that you brought that up. Yeah. Well, yeah. So like for me, with my kids, it's like even even when they're little, like and I tell my my wife, like. The one year old is getting into something, I don't just say, hey, stop that and and just like keep repeating, stop that and expect her to stop. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, no, when I say, um, hey, like I I don't get into that, I'll go and I'll pick her up and I'll remove her. So along with like me verbally saying is a physical it's it's ending right like whatever they're doing is ending so they're learning that and that's me keeping a boundary and also like um you know oftentimes as parents um we can let it go let it go i'm just ignoring it until it gets too much but that's not fair to the kid because like you're not teaching them that stop is stop right like you it's like okay so when are you actually gonna you know, like you said, stop, but I kept going and you weren't tripping and for an hour. I did whatever I wanted to do right. until I got like way too loud. And then you came in there screaming and hollering at me. Mm-hmm. That's not cool. It's not fair. Like, you know, um, so I think it's just classical conditioning. Um, and that's part of the thing. Like our the average person is not studying psychology, so they don't really uh understand like classical conditioning or operant conditioning like it's training like that's what discipline is it's just training like you have to beat somebody in order to provide discipline but you know it's the same as adults right if there's certain things that you won't tolerate right and somebody talk to you a certain kind of way like you don't you don't give them chances like all right well don't talk to all right no you you shut it Respond down right accordingly. There. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how they learn. 
that they're not going to speak to you like that or they're not going to treat you any kind of particular way. And that's kind of the way that you have to provide the structure in a home. And, and soon you will see, like, it's not even going to be some big tug of war because what the kids want is to know what I can and can't do. That's like, interesting. If, if it's gray area. Yeah. That's interesting. That safety you, at? That's interesting that you bring that up because like I said earlier, me and my brother and sister are completely different, right? You could tell my sister something. She might say something slick, but she's going to follow the rules. Right. I, my parents would tell me, don't do that. And I would ask why. And they would say, because I said so. To me, even as a young kid, that wasn't a sufficient answer. Right. So because they would just tell me because I said so, I would go find out, well, since you won't tell me, I need to figure it out. And so for the longest time, I got this label as being disrespectful and hard-headed and not listening. But as I got older, I just told them, I'm just curious. If you tell me why, if you explain something to me, don't touch the stove. Why? Because I said so. Well, I'm going to go touch the stove. Oh, because it's hot and I can burn myself. Now I know. Yeah. But if you had told me that in the first place, yeah. I would have learned. So how do you take some of these principles that you've studied and that you've learned and you help parents build these positive relationships with these children when they've already gotten into the juvenile halls and maybe been placed in foster care? Maybe the, the parents get the kids back. How do you help those those parents build those positive relationships. Cause it's almost like you got to start new again. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the, the challenging part about it. Um, and all honesty, like most of the, um, parents I've like done classes with because I've only had my certification since 15. Um, and then, you know, the whole COVID thing kind of killed a lot of things. Um, don't short yourself, brother. I, 15, don't short yourself, brother. 15 was eight years ago. You've had it for eight years. <laughs> eight years. My sister Man, says. that's crazy that that was that. Uh, it, don't, it don't feel like that long. But you've had it for eight years. So Right. But um, I've done a lot of parenting classes with parenting teams. Mm -hmm. So um, it was like, and that was an interesting thing, too, also, because uh, it was often youth who uh, were in foster care who were then expecting uh, kids. And so uh, it became a real like powerful thing to do the parenting classes with them. Because they're, the, they're prepping. They're prepping. They're prepping the and it's also causing them to consider some things that their parents were going through with wow. them. It's like, wow. they're looking at it on uh, both sides of the, of the, the spectrum, you know, mm. Um, and I've dealt with a lot of parents who have like younger kids, mm -hmm. um, like toddlers and stuff like that. I haven't, I can't think, well, no, I've, I've dealt with a couple of older parents, but their youth weren't in foster care. Like they were just teenagers. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was already some degree of, uh, of kind of having a hold on the parenting thing. And and honestly, the way I try to break it down is just relationships. Um, you know what I mean? It's not, I mean, it happens to be a relationship between parent and child, but at the end of the day, it's just a relationship. Mm -hmm. um, as a parent, you got to evaluate uh, what it is that you want for the youth. Like, what are the characteristics? You're equipping a, a child to become an adult. Okay. And, when they become an adult, what characteristics would you want 
them to have? Like, what do you feel they need to have in order to be able to survive in this world? Um, that becomes a tricky thing because it, it plays on, uh, you know, we all got our own different hangups, right? Mm-hmm. Like some people live like me against the world. Right. Kind of they want their kids to be able to fight, and, you know. But yeah, so how uh, do they? How do you balance right that that the, the teaching them what they need, what they legitimately mm-hmm. need, and just not teaching them what you want them to have? I mean, that's got. I don't have any kids, so that's that's a right. that's a concept that parents I think struggle with because I I have some friends. I have a lot of friends that have kids. And it's almost like they're trying to raise little versions of themselves. Always. But th- that's not always, they don't always come out like a little version of you. Oh, they're never going to. Yeah. So <laughs> they're, Because they're individuals. I mean, you know, like, and that's the tricky part about it is, is like even dealing with parents and dealing with myself. Like, um, I have to come to grips with my children are not going to be little versions of me. Right. Um, Although there is a a natural thing, I believe, um, because if we go like pre our domestication in American society, like there's villages of people all over the world where like their village, they have a certain culture in the way that they function in the village. Right. Like mm-hmm. that's all based on we've learned things and we're passing on to you what we've learned and how to navigate life. Right. Okay. That's, you know, that's a natural thing. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in a lot of other countries where they're not so uh, individualized, you know, in this country where we're very like individualized. So we have this like idea of, you know, it's pushed on our kids. I need to be free to be me. Mm-hmm. And then they wind up, in their early twenties, like, I don't know who that is or what that is. I need to go find it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It becomes like a crazy thing. I mean, that's a, a mental health situation mm-hmm. in itself. Right? right. Um, because we're taught to fight the direction of our elders and then like go seek direction from somewhere. And then where do we go find a direction from, from society? So then, we just become society's child because mm. at the end of the day, there's no new thoughts on the planet. Like there's nothing new under the sun, as they say, you know? So either we're taking on the, the ideas of those that we come from, or we're taking on the ideas of those in where we're headed. Mm. Um, and, you know, and, and oftentimes where we're headed has a bigger influence, right? Like media has a larger influence. So like, and the media feeds into the school system. We got the school system telling our kids how to think. We got the cartoons telling our kids how to think. We got the uh, little TV shows and the movies telling our kids how to think. We got social media telling our kids how to think. So there's so many um, different entities pulling our our kids' culture, really. is all just culture. Mm-hmm. Um, pulling our kids away from the, the home culture, which, you know, and, and, um, African culture before we, uh, became African American, um, you know, our culture was tied into our people and where we come from, not the people who are like control the, the media and influence and telling us 
where we need to go. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's something to think about. I'm not, I'm not telling anybody to think any certain kind of way, Mm -hmm. but, um, that is something to think about. Yeah. I I would say that, uh, a natural evolution is to take what you've learned, take what's passed down generational knowledge, continue on, but also take the growing knowledge outside of that and try to incorporate it all together to build your own path. Uh, right. You, you got to have a structure, a, ba- a backbone, something to fall on principle. Yeah. You got to have a principle, but there's nothing yeah. wrong with pulling in different ideas. You know, I'm a technological nerd, right? Like growing up, I'm going to assume that we're around the same age growing up. We went from just having a few channels, the antenna with the, the U HF signal, right? Hi. You know, maybe we might get WTBS to see uh, Saturday Night Wrestling with Ric Flair and the boys, right? <laughs> to cable, to HBO, to yeah. internet, right? Right. Right. Records, tapes, CDs, streams now. So right. things are evolving and, and we are getting smarter, but we also do need to have that backbone and that principle to stand on that so that we can still survive in this world, but there's nothing wrong yeah. with taking on some of that new knowledge, pick, picking the knowledge as we go along that helps us foster and grow. Well, yeah, I, I think you're dead on. Um, I just think it has to be mindful. Yes. You know, like, and, and so often um, we just, we kind of can exist as sponges. Mm-hmm. Like we're just, we're just, Oh, this idea and that idea and that idea. And especially if it serves like, um, as I said before, like oftentimes people don't want to like own their thing. Right. Mm-hmm. So it might be a, a situation, a relationship um, rupture. And in that we might take a moment to reflect like, dang, was that me? What was I tripping? But then soon after that will become, no, nah, I wasn't tripping because such and such. Yeah. We don't anything that comes that will validate my, no, nah, I wasn't tripping because of such and such. We're going to grab a hold to those things that validate our denial of us owning the the thing. Yeah, and by and large, think, we don't we don't like to admit that we're wrong. No, because there's so much shame in it. Mm-hmm. You got to yes. think from small yeah. children giving the wrong answer in class felt mm. embarrassing. Yes, I never so, thought of it like, like that. Yeah, you're right. There's there is a lot of shame. Be in wrong, that. right? You know yeah. what I mean. Like, so being wrong comes with so much shame and being right comes with so much pride mm. that people will fight tooth and nail to be right. To even have that when pride. they know they're not right. Yeah, to have that pride. That makes a lot of sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, I think at first we have to come to the point of saying it's okay to be wrong. Like for me, the only, I, I, I want to be right about everything, but I want to be right about everything so bad that I'm going to admit that I'm wrong so I can find out what right is. Ah, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So the only way I could. And, and so that brings me back to the original question that I asked you, like when you're, when you're helping these parents, right. Who are used to a certain form of discipline and structure, those parents that are combative against what you're trying to teach them to help them have a better relationship with their child. How do you reach them? How can you, how do you show them? Hey, I'm not trying to say that you're wrong, but you, you're not right. 
Let me help well, you. I, I think um, it, for me and my, in those situations, it's for me to fall back and listen. Mm. Because, um, you know, our behaviors, all right, so it's a saying that like a behavior is a strategy to get a need met. Um, and that's all of our behaviors are just strategies to meet our needs. And I'll even go further to say, not even meeting our needs, but securing our needs. And so with that, I got to understand that even when somebody's in denial or something or whatever, they're trying to meet a, a need of theirs, you know, mm-hmm. and it may be something that I'm not hearing. I can't force feed what I think the answer is. Right. Like what I think the answer is might not be the answer. Mm-hmm. First of all, like I don't live in their environment. Um, and so that's a, another th- kind of a philosophy of mine is um, I don't believe in this whole idea of good and bad, like how mm-hmm. it's like good people, bad people are. But I don't believe in that whole concept. I don't, I don't really jive with that. Mm-hmm. So um, as a musician, I kind of look at it as like harmony and dissonance, right? Like, so like there's, there's scales, right? There's keys to every song. A song could be played in C major or D flat, right? But like, so with every key, there's a wrong note. You can play a note that doesn't sound right in that key. Mm-hmm. And I think everything that we do is like a note, right? Either we're playing a note, what, what we did is in harmony of uh, our surroundings of what's going on, or it can be in dissonance with mm-hmm. what's going on. But that doesn't mean like that same note might be in key in another song, right. you know? Okay. So yeah. like this, you can police these parents on uh, being aggressive, right? Mm-hmm. And being aggressive is so wrong or being violent is so wrong. But then what happens when you end up in an environment or a situation where you need that? Hmm. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. is it <laughs> like me not having that ability? might get me killed somewhere else. Yeah, this is true. So every, everything, I, you know, it's, it takes being mindful. Um, and then we can't expect everybody to be so mindful because the reality is, is um, also like talk about like logic, like the logic we use is, is preconceived logic. Like we mostly function on autopilot. We don't have to, really think about the logic that we're using. Like the only way that I'm able to speak to you now without keep saying, uh, 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 is because this is stuff that I've thought about time and time and time again. So Mm -hmm. now I can just throw it to you. Right. Or if you're drinking water, when you were a toddler, you probably poured that all over yourself. Mm -hmm. Now you don't even think about it. You don't think about it. It's like driving. It's like when you're driving and you just, how did I get here? You you know the way. You just autopilot. So I get what you're saying. Everything is autopilot, right? So, but that being said, like a lot of people don't have the luxury to sit and, and ponder ideas. Hmm. They don't. Like if I don't have my needs met, if I don't have my needs secure, that's where my thinking is going. Mm-hmm. If I don't know where my next meal was coming from, I don't have time to think about what aggression does and, and 
passive aggression and and all these theories. No, bro. I'm trying to get this money so I can secure this meal for tonight or this. I got to rent a room for tonight or, you know. Yeah. Or if my, my environment is super aggressive and I'm hearing loud noises outside. I got to focus on if I'm safe right now. Is it cool right now? Do I need to shift things around? Um, yeah. Yeah. Wow. That, that's, that's real interesting. I'm going to give you one final question. And what would be a, some advice that you would give someone who's interested in pursuing the work that you do? Dig in. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, it, it's not it's not hard to get to. I would say one thing is uh, Children's Law Center. That's really what uh, changed things around for me. Me going from just being an artist that um, was talking about things that I didn't really know about. Mm-hmm. To, um, getting into a space where I was able to learn what the uh, what's really going on in society. Um, and that led me back to going back to school and studying psychology. And then uh, it was just a starting point for me. But I think school is really the real starting point, studying psychology. Um, I honestly think everybody on the planet should study psychology because that's true knowledge itself, Mm -hmm. right? Like to learn how you function. Um, I think a major thing is to understand that we're all influenced all the time and we're also like influencing others. Mm-hmm. So when you understand influence and how it works, then you can begin to influence your environment and affect the way that it affects you. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like if, if, if you want to build certain habits for yourself, well, the best way for you to build those habits for yourself is to put yourself in an environment that's going to foster you building those habits, right? Okay. If you're trying to like stop drinking, you wouldn't keep kicking it at the bar. Right. Exactly. But you know, a a lot in life, like we, we stuck in these habits that we have and we don't change the space to help us, um, you know, become who we want to become. Mm -hmm. So you would say that first step for anybody that wants to enter in your field, Study School. some psychology. Yes, yeah, study psychology. And maybe help out in different communities. Uh because oh, absolutely. People absolutely. like if you're from one community, right, you can't identify from a, another community that might be different. You might not ever be able to identify with that, but at least you could go into that community and learn. You won't have understanding, yeah. but maybe right. you could get some empathy for another person's struggle. Right. I mean, honestly, you can get some real experience to then go back into your community because um, there's not one community that doesn't need help. Hmm. So, you know, I I think oftentimes we get people coming from other communities and it becomes kind of this savior complex because they're coming from what they perceive to be, you know, where the grass is greener and they're Mm -hmm. coming to try to help where the grass is dying. But um, this grass is dying because you're, your grass is taking all the water. You know what I mean? Like, Mm. so maybe you need to come see why this grass is dying and then go back and talk to that side about, Hey, yo, we using up all the water. That's, that's beautifully said. You know, I want to thank you 
for coming and doing <laughs> this interview. That was really insightful and really knowledgeable. Some of the stuff that our audience is going to learn from a lot of what you said today. And I'm really appreciative of you joining today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. No doubt. That was a really interesting interview and GNU gave a lot of insight into parenting like that that conversation we started off with juvenile juvenile hall like learning what juvenile halls are and and learning how these kids in the foster care system and the recidivism of the i said it right this time the recidivism of foster kids and how sometimes they age out and they end up in jail because they don't have that structure and that background and then going to parenting and one of the things that I'll say about that interview and speaking with Gnu, I think it's important to pull from different communities. And I'm not a parent. I can't speak to raising kids. But if I did have kids, I would think the best way to raise kids and each kid, like I said earlier, is individual. What works for one kid won't work for another kid. You know, some kids you could tell, stop and explain it to them and that'll be good enough. And other kids just won't work. So discipline and raising and building structure with each kid is going to be different. But I feel like that we can pull from each one of the communities, right? Cook it up like a pot of gumbo. We take a little bit of here. We take a little bit of here. We take a little bit of there. Just like as Gnu is an artist, right? And the notes, what note, one note may work in this particular song, but might not work in this particular song. I think it's important for us to learn from each other, to learn, okay, this worked for you, for your kids. I know it's a different situation. Let me see if it can be applied here. Oh, this didn't work or it did work but not to the degree of which I thought it would, or I had to change up something. It's interesting. We as a people, if we listen and speak to each other, we can really learn from one another and continually grow. That's the purpose of generations, right? As Gnu brought it up earlier, like we learn from our parents. We learn parenting from our parents. The hope is, is that we'll see how they raised us and we'll say, okay, this worked and this didn't work. I want to keep this. I want to take this out, right? And and then employ that on our kids. And then our kids do the same thing. So at a certain point, like a, a, a math problem, you know, remember long division, you had to show your work and long division had all these different steps to finally get to the answer. Same thing, like you you keep taking that, those, those, questions and those answers and those variables. And it's just like long division. And with each generation, you get closer and closer to the answer. And the answer might be different for every child or will be different for every child because the variables change. But we could take that and we can learn from one another and better so that each generation gets better and better and better. Because isn't that what we want in that what we strive for to continuously evolve and continuously get better. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. A lot of uh, the news thought processes and ideology and learn something. You should have learned something. Hopefully you learned something. But on that note, I hope you enjoyed this episode and I'll see you next time. But until then, I'll holler. Thank you for listening to Unsolicited Perspectives with Bruce Anthony. Please subscribe, like, comment, share, and donate. 
donations help us keep giving you this free content each and every week. Until next time, Audi 5000. Peace.